So as I said before, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. And I'm going to read it for us and then just kind of explain what's going on here. Because what Paul is doing here is a bit of an oddity for how Paul writes his letters. And therefore, because it's a bit different from how he normally writes his letters, we have to pay kind of special attention of what he's doing here because he's doing something important that we can't miss. So I'm going to start in verse 19 and just work my way all the way to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel i hope therefore to send him just as soon as i see how it will go with me and i trust in the lord that shortly i myself will come also i have thought it necessary to send to you epaphroditus my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need for he has been longing for all for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me all right what we see going on here that's a bit odd from paul's writing style is that paul normally leaves this section right here for the end of his letters. He normally leaves, I'm hoping to send so-and-so, or I myself am hoping to come to you, and he leaves those towards the end of his letter. And so the question that then should come to our mind if we're following along is, why, Paul, have you decided to put this part that you normally, in your other letters, put towards the end, right here, smack dab in the middle? Now there are two things that people think. One of the things is that Paul actually wrote two letters to the Philippians, and this is just the finishing of his first letter. So chapters 1 and 2 would be letter 1, and then 3 and 4 would be letter 2. However, that doesn't make sense because when we get to chapter 3, Paul says, finally, my brothers... And so why would Paul start his letter out with saying finally? So that just doesn't really add up very well. The second conclusion or the second thing that we could think about is that Paul here is trying to drive home a point that he's been making. Is that Paul is actually seeing that him hoping to send Timothy and him hoping to come in himself and Instead, him sending Epaphroditus actually helps to serve his argument to serve one another 
like Christ has served us. You see, if you remember what we've been looking through in chapter 2, and even a little back into chapter 1, starting in verse 27, all the way to right now, Paul has been encouraging and teaching this church what it looks like to be unified. What it looks like to live as worthy citizens of heaven. He tells them to be of one mind, one spirit, striving side by side for the faith. And since verse 27 in chapter 1, Paul has been meticulous to show us what it looks like to be a unified, a united church. And so we get to chapter 2 and we see the, the, the beautiful language that Paul uses. If there's any encouragement in Christ, even if you have a mustard seed of faith, Paul is saying, any comfort from Christ's love, any participation in the Spirit whatsoever, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And so Paul starts off chapter 2 calling them to be united with him as well. So Paul has been saying a united church is one that is of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side, and I am calling you to be united with me as well. And how does this happen? Well, according to Paul in Philippians, he says, count the interests or count the needs of others more highly than your own. Don't look just to yourself. Don't look to your own selfish ambitions. Don't look to your own self-interests. But look to others and count their interests more important, more highly, more significant than your own. And since then, Paul has been arguing and showing us how to do that. Vivid illustration after vivid illustration after vivid illustration of one, why it's important that we as Christians, as a church, are united by self-sacrificing service towards one another. The first illustration that he uses is that of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He says that this was Christ's very own posture is that God himself did not count equality with himself, a thing to be grasped. But God emptied himself by becoming like man. How? By humbly serving us, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so that's the first illustration that Paul uses to show us why we must be self-sacrificial Christians to serve one another, to count the interests of one another more highly. But it's almost as if Paul can hear the argument back. But Paul, that's Jesus. I could never live up to the standard of Jesus. I could never be Christ-like like that. And so what does Paul do next? Well, Paul uses himself as an illustration. As we saw last week, Paul is being poured out as an offering. He is being poured out as a sacrificial offering for the sake of the Philippians' faith. And so Paul is saying, if you cannot imitate Christ, then imitate me as I have served you 
by counting your interests more highly than my own. But it's almost as if Paul then hears the argument back. Well, Paul, you are an apostle. I could never be like you, Paul. Well, this is what we see here today, and this is why Paul has seen fit to put verses 19 through 30, this sending, instead of at the end, right here in the middle, is because he is going to show us how these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, are living worthy lives of the gospel. How these two men are not looking to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And so, we come to verses 19 through 24, and we see something very common that Paul does in verses 19, 23, and 24, and that's his charge of saying, this is who I hope to send to you, Timothy. And it's important that we start off discussing, first off, who is Timothy? Timothy, as we see in here, is Paul's son in the faith. Timothy grew up with a wonderful mother and grandmother, Moms and grandmas in here don't ever think that your discipleship towards your children and grandchildren don't count because it is maybe one of the most important discipling relationships that you could possibly ever have in your life because Timothy's mom and grandma was faithful to disciple him in the faith from a young age. And Paul here then picks him up, puts him underneath his wing, and says, come with me, Timothy. And from a young age, Timothy is Paul's right-hand man. We even see that out of everybody that Paul has interacted with, who do we have in the scriptures that Paul writes to specifically? It's Timothy. Not once, but twice. We have two letters dedicated specifically to Timothy that Paul writes to encourage him. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. And Paul is hoping to send Timothy to the Philippians. He's hoping to send Timothy to the Philippians so that Paul may hear of how they have progressed and be cheered, be happy, learn how They have advanced the gospel, how they have become more united for the sake of the gospel. But until Paul can send Timothy, Paul tells the Philippians that he must wait. He must wait to send Timothy until he hears how his trial goes. Paul right here is in prison, as we've discussed before. And he is waiting to hear what the outcome of his trial will be. Now we've seen that Paul is hopeful and he really thinks that he's going to get out of prison. And so Paul tells the Philippians that not only does he hope to send Timothy, but Paul himself hopes to come and be there with the Philippians. And so besides the fact that Timothy is Paul's right-hand man, we need to ask ourselves, why is it that out of everybody that Paul knew, he sent Timothy or wanted to send Timothy? Why is it that Paul saw fit to send young Timothy for this job, this task, 
Why would Paul be so willing to send his right-hand man to go to the church of Philippi? Well, he tells us, and this is how we see Timothy's heart of being like Christ. Verses 20 through 22. For I have no one like him who will genuinely who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. We need to stop here. There is nobody in Paul's circle that Paul sees that will be genuinely concerned for the sake of the Philippians. Why is that? Because Timothy and Paul are of one mind. They're of one spirit. They're striving side by side for the sake of the gospel. Timothy is not looking at his own interests as we see in the next verse. For they all seek their own interests, not these or those of Jesus Christ. So everybody around Paul that he has seen and come into contact with are weighing the risks of going to the Philippians. Everybody besides Timothy. Timothy has a genuine concern for the Philippians' welfare. But the other Christians that are around Paul are asking themselves these questions. Will this be a waste of my time? Will they accept me? Will I be smart enough to help them? I don't really want to busy my schedule right now because I'm already busy with other things. Will this mission help to advance my status as a disciple? Will this help me gain more resources for myself? Everybody else around Paul, besides Timothy, were only looking to their own self-interests, as Paul says right here, besides Timothy. Timothy was looking at the Philippian church and counting their interests more highly than his own. Timothy, Paul's right-hand man, was willing and ready to be sent to the church in Philippi for the sake and the interests and the needs of the church in Philippi. And how do we see Paul speak so highly of Timothy we see him speak so highly of Timothy in the next verse but you know Timothy's proven worth we hear that word worth and that should be a bell that goes off in our head back to verse 27 Timothy is living a life worthy of the gospel Timothy is counting the interests of others more highly than his own And not only that, Paul goes on to say a step further, how as a son with a father has served with me in the gospel. It's not that Timothy just has had an easy going and is inheriting the company of a Fortune 500 company from his father. No, what Paul is saying here is, Timothy's been with me at my lowest. He's been with me in the trials. He's proven himself worthy that through the storms, in the fire, he has remained faithful to the gospel. He has proven his worth. 
In 1 John, what we see is John telling his readers what it looks like to live in the light. That those who live in the light are those who love their brothers and sisters. But John also goes on to say that if you hate your brothers and sisters, then you're not actually living in the light. And so we see right here what it looks like as Timothy is living as a light to the world. He loves his neighbors. He serves his neighbors. He looks at their interests more highly than his own. And so he is willing and ready to be sent uh, for the sake of the Philippian church's needs and not his own. I'm fearful that in the church, far too often, we tolerate people. We say that we're willing to serve only until somebody tells us how to serve. But here, Timothy is showing us that a posture of counting the interests of others more highly than your own is one of being ready, being willing, and then just going. And just serving. Not worrying about and asking the question, will I be taken advantage of? We see Timothy's genuine concern for those who need his help. We see Timothy's genuine concern and willingness to be sent. We see Timothy's genuine concern by him serving. And I wonder how many of us have a posture and heart like Timothy. To love our neighbors with a radical, self-sacrificial service, counting the interests of others more highly than our own. Yes, even the hard person. Yes, even the person that you find it difficult to, to be around. Yes, even the times when you feel like it is eating into your personal alone time. Yes, even when you may have to not watch that TV show or go on Facebook or Twitter as much or go to the cabin. Timothy was willing and ready because of his genuine concern for his brothers and sisters at another church. It's not like Timothy was buddy-buddy with these guys. He heartily knew them. And yet, because Paul was concerned, he is in one mind with Paul, and Timothy is concerned and says, send me, Paul. We must not only be willing and ready to serve, but we must be looking actively for ways to serve one another and then just doing it. 
But this isn't the only person that Paul turns to and uses as an example. You see, Paul is expecting, right? We can't be like Jesus, Paul. Paul, we can't be like you. You're an apostle. Paul, Timothy's your son in the faith. You're the one who discipled him, so of course he's like that. Now, Paul, go ahead. So Paul goes ahead and uses one of the Philippian church's very own people and says, this guy's got it. He's doing it. And that is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church to Paul because the Philippian church heard that Paul was in prison and was concerned for him. And so they sent Epaphroditus expecting to never see him again and said to him, Epaphroditus, you go and serve Paul however he needs to be served. Serve him while he's in prison. Bring him food. We, we, we see in chapter 4 towards the end that, that Epaphroditus was the person who was given a gift, a sacrificial offering to bring to Paul. And so they said, be the messenger and minister to his needs. And so they weren't expecting to see him again. They sent him off. They gave him a hearty goodbye party. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. If, if you caught it. And so what Paul is doing here is he's going to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church and just in case if they think that he has failed the mission of him being a messenger and minister to Paul, Paul is about to give him five titles explaining how he has accomplished the work. So let's see what these titles are. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and messenger and minister to my need. So here we go. Brother is the first. This isn't like your typical Christianese, like, hey, brother, how's it going? This, back in the first century, back during this time, Paul is indicating a deep intimacy that Epaphroditus is, is his brother. So don't you mess with him because if you mess with him, then you're messing with me. And so there's this deep intimacy of Paul saying, this is my brother, but he goes a step further. This is my fellow laborer. Paul is now saying, he's worked with me, he has labored with me. He has done his job, but not only that, Paul then gives him another title which is very unique, and we don't see this very often in Scripture, that he's a fellow soldier. And what Paul is saying here is, not only is he my brother, not only is he a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier, and he has taken a few hits. He's taken a few bumps and bruises in the spiritual cosmic, cosmic war that is going on right now. And then he goes on to affirm, he is and he has done exactly what you have sent him to do. He has been a messenger. And he has ministered to my needs. But something has happened of why Paul is sending Epaphroditus back. It's that he has longed for you. And he's been distressed. Epaphroditus has been distressed because 
You, the Philippian church, heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus is longing to be home with his church. This is an incredible reality. Let me just say it like this as kindly as I possibly can. Epaphroditus loved his church and wanted to be home with them. The, the word distressed here is indicating to us what Paul says about the Philippian church in chapter 1. How it, his insides yearn with affection like Christ Jesus yearns for this church. That's how Epaphroditus loved this church. Oh, how often do we go through the motions and think that we just have to show up to church I wonder how many of us genuinely look forward and are excited to fellowship on Sunday mornings with our brothers and sisters. How many of us are actually genuinely excited to fellowship throughout the week with our brothers and sisters? This is Epaphroditus. He longed to be with his church. When he found out they heard that he was ill, he wanted to go to them and say, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm fine. They were concerned about him and he about them. There was this longing in his heart for his church. Do we have a longing in our heart for our church? Here's a good indicator of if our heart is in the right place when it comes to the Sunday service and the people that we have committed ourselves to. Epaphroditus can be that monitor. Do we long for the people in our church? I once, I once heard from a pastor who, who said it was the craziest season of his pastoral ministry where people just so longed to be with the church that they were willing to even move around their vacation so that way they could be back on Sunday mornings to fellowship. I thought that was pretty incredible. But this is Epaphroditus longing to be with his church because he was ill and he heard that, the Philippian church heard that he was ill. And Paul says that he was even afraid because if Epaphroditus would have died, then that would have brought sorrow upon sorrow on his heart. And this is why Paul says, I'm even more eager to send him to you. Therefore, when you see him, rejoice. Why? Welcome him home. Because like a soldier coming home from the battlefield, you must welcome Epaphroditus home because he has done his job. So receive him in the Lord. Receive him with joy. When he comes home, throw a big party for him. Welcome him home. Welcome him into your arms. Don't reject him and think that he hasn't done what he's been called to do. In fact, this is where we see Epaphroditus counting the interests of others more highly than himself is in verse 34, he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus looked at Paul and said, how can I count your interests, Paul, more highly than my own? And what does this verse say? It says that Epaphroditus went so far to count Paul's interests more highly than his own, that it almost brought him to death. Epaphroditus saw the needs of Paul as so important that he was willing to almost die for Paul to serve him. Is this foolish service? 
Is Epaphroditus foolish for serving Paul or wanting to call Paul's interests more highly than his own to the point where he almost died? Is this foolish? No. This isn't foolish. This is the gospel that's taken root in Epaphroditus' heart. How do we see this? Where do we see this? Well, I think, and what I believe that Paul is doing here is he's using Timothy and Epaphroditus to show us what Christ has done for us. Timothy, Timothy genuinely concerned about the needs of others is willing to be sent to a strange place. Is this not what Paul says that God has done? Has genuinely been concerned for the sake of humanity to the point that he has come down himself? That Jesus Christ was genuinely concerned for the souls of his elect that he has come down himself to serve them? This is Jesus. But he doesn't stop there because we see Epaphroditus that he nearly died counting the interests of others more highly than his own. And do we not see Jesus Christ in Epaphroditus' life? That even though Epaphroditus almost died, he didn't. But there is one who has died. There is one who has counted the interests of others more highly than his own to the point that he was willing to be obedient to the point of death. And so even though Epaphroditus doesn't die, Jesus dies. Jesus dies an unjust death by serving us in the greatest way, by taking on our sin obeying the law perfectly and laying down his life so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. Paul is using these two men to show that the gospel has taken so root in their heart that they are being like Christ and fulfilling what Paul has called the church in Philippi to do. This is what Paul is calling us to do today to count the interests of others more highly than our own, to serve one another like a Christ-like service. Because Jesus has humbly served us by giving his life as a ransom to many, we should be eager to serve one another as well. This is the way. This is the way. To be more like Christ, we must serve more like Christ. And that means, and this is how I would like to conclude this, two things. You cannot serve like Christ if you are not involved and a part of other people's lives. That's the self-interest person who only cares about their own interests because people are messy. People are sticky and people are hard to love. And so the person who only cares about their own interests will keep everybody else at an arm's length away because they don't want to have to deal with the mess of other people. And so we must be involved 
as Christians, like in the first century and every other century since then, not a bunch of individuals wandering around in a desert, but we must be God's people shining brightly together. We haven't been bought into a personal relationship with Jesus. We've been bought into a family where, yes, we do have an individual relationship, but we've got brothers and sisters. We're not only children. And so you cannot carry this load on your own, and you weren't called to. We have been called to carry the burdens of one another. We've been called to embody a Christ-like spirit. And the way we do that is by serving one another together. And the second way is, and we talk about this at our life group, is to be costly with one another. Being costly with one another means this, that you are willing to share how you can be served or you are willing to share that you are in a place that you just don't even know how to be served. Your head's spinning and you just need some type of service. So being costly means being vulnerable with those around you and then costly in the sense of giving up your time, your resources, your energy, and your wisdom for the sake of serving. One thing I said last week that I firmly believe, and I believe all the more this week, is church. We have two choices, shine brightly or die, And the way we shine brightly is by serving one another. And the way we die as a church is to be a bunch of individuals that get together, leave, never never count the interests of others more highly than our own. And so we're still faced with these two options. Shine bright by serving one another, being like Christ so that our community can see that or die. I want to shine brightly with you all. I hope you want to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it's alive, it's active, it's ready to pierce our hearts. And so I just ask this morning that you would cause conviction, Father. Forgive us where we have counted our own self-interests. Forgive us when we have been so self-focused on ourselves that we haven't even taken time to ask the question, how can we serve the interests of others more highly around us? Father, would you lead us and grow us by your Spirit to faithfully obey your word the word of life, so that we could be like a city on a hill that shines brightly so all people can see your glory. That's what it's about, God. It's about your glory, not ours. It's about showing people what Christ was like. It's about showing people what Christ is like. And so I pray this in Jesus' name.